Amen. Why don't you grab a seat this morning? Let me give you a very quick missions update. We had a great trip away, which is fantastic. Uh, we probably tried to jam a little bit too much in. It was a bit exhausting. Um, it'd be great to hear uh, in uh, weeks ahead a little bit more about the Tanzania trip, and, and we were praying for them. Um, but we had, over the, over the time, we've been away the last 10 days, uh, I think we met with around about 350 leaders doing leaders' training seminars, uh, etc., in China. Uh, with our small house group leaders because of course they can no longer meet as a group so they're now, our Shanghai church is now meeting in house groups uh, we were able to do a day's training with them we were able to do uh, a pastors conference for three days with 95 pastors most of whom are um, rural pastors uh, facing persecution out in rural Vietnam uh, a tremendous opportunity Bob, uh, Maggie and Darcy Frost uh, did a two days women's conference with 70 women uh, which hasn't been done before, uh, and then Adam and Darcy went off and did a youth uh, conference in the middle of Vietnam for 180 youth, uh, which is absolutely astonishing. Uh, Bob and I were able to get up into China and do some work there. Shane Huang uh, also came up with us, met us up there in China to work with our small group leaders. Um, he was just such a hit. He did such an incredible job. Um, so it was a, a great trip. We've all come back uh, probably a little too shattered, but... Um, but it was a great chance to make an impact. So thank you for all those who have given over the years to that project. We have a church in China because we gave to that. Uh, we have this work in Vietnam because we've given to that, uh, which is so exciting. We're able to connect with our leaders in Cambodia. Again, work that we have given to, uh, work that we are sustaining and that God is doing, raising up leaders, uh, often in very difficult situations. So thank you. So good. I'm going to read today from Psalm 23. Um, Psalm 23 verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I love this. I don't know about you, one of my favorite psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I don't know about you, but it's, it's winter time. Uh, I know some of the trees are somewhat confused and seem to think it's spring. Um, but I'm telling you, it's not. <laughs> the temperature and the rain keeps reminding me it is not spring yet. Uh, and you know, it's not quite as easy in the middle of winter, is it, to stay excited, uh, to stay as vision-focused, to stay uh, as front foot uh, in the things of God as maybe it is in the summer. It's a little bit relentless. Life can feel a little bit relentless in the middle of winter. Uh, add to that a few challenges, family dramas, difficulties with finances, or whatever else it is that we all face from time to time. And we can ask the question, man, how do I keep going through this season? I remember a time when I'd been pastoring about three or four years, and I found myself in a tough place like that. Uh, I was a little bit of a mess, I was exhausted, I was working too hard, doing too many jobs at once, and I was getting a little, a little, a little cynical, uh, a little, um, probably a little dazed in my working, a little ineffective in what I was doing, and I'd taken my team away for a conference, and I was not in a great space. I went to the conference on the first morning, I said, God, you've got till lunchtime to speak to me, um, and of course, didn't hear anything because I was in such an open, receptive place to God. And uh, so by lunchtime, I left. I walked out and I just had to get away, I had to run away. And sometimes we all feel like that. We feel like we've just got to get away. And it was a beautiful Canterbury day. I was walking down through the, through the streets of Christchurch, found myself down by the Avon River. And I was so upset, so discouraged um, about my life, about what was going on. Uh, and uh, as I started walking back, I was unaware that God was about to make me lie down. You see, I've been ignoring the warning lights for some time, the internal promptings to stop and rest. I felt guilty 
uh, about what I was not achieving, about how I wasn't there in that season for my wife and my children. Um, I felt genuinely that I was pouring myself out for people, but found myself asking, uh, you know, who's, who's looking after me? And it can be a little self-centered if we're honest, but the reality is we've all felt that. We've all felt that place where we're really genuinely feeling that we're pouring it out, pouring it out for others, for our families maybe, for our colleagues, for friends. We're going the extra mile, we're pushing ourselves, and we can all find ourselves come back to that place and we go, well, this is great that I'm doing all this stuff for others, but is there anyone in my world who's doing this stuff for me? I think David had these moments. David was a shepherd. He knew what it meant to shepherd people. And he now found himself out in the desert with an incredible call out in front of him, eh? like a promise to be the king. I mean, pretty impressive, this vision that was out in front of him, yet he couldn't take hold of it. In fact, the king who should have been making way for him was actually hunting him down, trying to kill him. And so he was, he was just trying to keep himself safe, and, and yet people kept coming to him. The Bible tells us that hundreds of men found their way to him, disaffected men. And so David began to shepherd them. And he had quite a responsibility. He had to look after them. He had to encourage them. He had to feed them. And all this while keeping them all safe. And I'm sure that as David was shepherding these men, there were times when he was going, this is great, but who's shepherding me? And so this is why it's so powerful as he starts the psalm. Who is my shepherd? The Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. And as the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. It's such an attractive idea, isn't it? You know, this idea that God would shepherd us, that he would be our caring protector, that he'll pick us up when we're weak. He'll lead us to places there where we find the kind of rich input that we feel that our soul needs to keep going forward. Uh, who, someone who will protect us from our enemies, from those who sometimes come against us or feel like they're coming against us in this world. And it's so important for us to realize that this is really, really is a key for us. Who is the shepherd for us? Our Lord is our shepherd. And, but it's interesting because I think that when we look at who David was and what he's asking, I think that if we apply that to our own lives, we go to a deeper layer again. You see, David was a shepherd and he was asking, who is it that shepherds me? Are you a teacher? Maybe you're asking, who is it that teaches you? Are you a doctor, a healer? Well, who is it that is healing you? Are you a builder? Who is it that is building you up? Are you an encourager? Well, who is it that's encouraging you? Are you a rescuer? Well, who is it that's rescuing you? Maybe you're a leader. So who is it that shows you the way? And the answer from the psalm today is that for all of those things, that is who the Lord will be for you. He is the one for you that you are for others. Just take a moment on that. He is the one for you that you are for others. So let me ask you, what is it that you are for others? That if you're honest, at times really depletes you. It's actually really hard at times. You may be gifted for it, anointed for it, have an open door for it, but what is it that for you in your darker moments you go, who is that for me? Well, I'm here to tell you, it is the Lord. You see, and in that place, when he is your shepherd, your rescuer, your encourager, your leader, whatever it is for you, when he's the one who's managing your affairs and overlooking what you are doing, 
then in that place you've got to realize that you will only lack nothing if you will do what he requires of you to do in that relationship. You will only lack nothing when you are able to respond to God in the way that he needs you to respond in that place. And so I think there's some powerful principles in the psalm that we're going to go through today that I really believe are incredibly helpful for us. I believe that these are things that David somehow inherently knew, inherently practiced, and these things come out in the psalm. You know, one of the the first things is this as we start today. The first bit of wisdom from the Lord. The first bit of wisdom that David understood was this. Number one, you can write this in your notes today. You've got to lie down when he says, lie down. Psalm 23, verses 2 and 3. It's interesting, isn't it? He makes me lie down. It's not he suggests that I lie down. It's not that he recommends that I lie down. It's not that he slides it in your morning devotion that you should lie down. Here's the reality. You keep running hard. You keep doing this when God is speaking to you, and eventually you, he will make you lie down <laughs> because he loves you so much. He makes me lie down in green pastures, David says. I get to that point where I can't go any further, and everything in me, I realize God is going to make me lie down. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, but this is the most beautiful thing. He refreshes my soul. Anyone here could do with some soul refreshment this morning? Could do with that kind of just filling up again on the inside? That happens if we can trust God. See, when does God say rest? When does God say rest to you? How does God say rest? I believe God says rest to us lots, particularly in our frenetic world, right? Our frenetic lives. I mean, honestly, Evelyn Auckland is just next level. The travel that's involved, the job pressures that are involved, mixing all of these things together. Man, it is. It can be tough. It can be tough. You add into that, you know, you're married. Maybe you've got kids. Maybe you're trying to start a business. Maybe you're involved in a small group, trying to get to church on Sunday. Honestly, there are days and there are weeks when it just feels like we spend the whole time running. You know, I mean, you, you run to bed. You run to bed so you can get to sleep long enough so that you can get up and start running again the next morning. I mean, it's just manic. That's what it's like. And yet I think God says to us again and again and again, whoa, 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 slow down. Stop. Rest. Lie down. You see, God's created your body. And so your body will tell you when it's time to rest if you're not listening to a spirit. And, and the warning signs are things like tiredness, like fatigue, like exhaustion, like heart palpitations, like getting run down, becoming sick. These are all things that God built into you to tell you when it's time to rest. These are all internal things that God put in there to say to you, okay, nice running. Now you need to lie down. Some of you might say, yeah, but but I'm tired all the time. Let me ask you, what do you think your body is trying to say to you all the time then? You weren't born tired. I wonder how long God has been trying to get through to you. You know, God's also created your mind, so your mind will tell you when it's time to rest. There are things that happen inside of our heads, right, in the midst of all this craziness that I think God is saying, from mental fuzziness to a lack of focus, to an inability to keep on track, 
to blanking out to mental health issues. God is speaking through your symptoms. He's saying, it's time to lie down. It's time to rest. He's created our emotions, so our emotions will tell us when it's time to rest. From disappointment that won't go away, to sadness, to cynicism, to depression, to anxiety, to panic attacks. These are things that we feel that I believe are absolutely what God has put inside us to be our early warning signs, to say, hey, it's time to stop. It's time to rest. If you want to stay in a place of strength and refreshment, now is the time to listen. God speaks through what he created. When your washing machine malfunctions and comes up with an error code, or when your car warning light comes on that you're almost out of oil. One of my delicious girls came to me just before I went away. said, oh, I've got this light on in my car. Oh, really? Uh, it's a little red light. Oh, really? What does it look like? It's got this little, it looks like a little lamp, like the Holy Spirit thing. So I said, oh, that one. All right, great. When did it come on? Oh, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, that she's not owning now a nice, large, big block of fused metal. That is a miracle. You know, God also speaks through his word. The first time he says that we must rest, he says it right at the beginning when he gives us the example that we need to take one day a week. One day a week to rest the Sabbath. And it's the strangest thing. So, you know, whenever I'm tired, I seem to stumble on references to this whole take a day a week off thing. But gosh, we're clever, aren't we? I know, I know God needs to take a day of rest, but we don't. We're just so strong. We're just amazing. Like, you know, I know God's a little substandard, obviously, in his work effort, but we are not. We will keep going, aren't we? Amazing. And it's just funny how we pat ourselves on the back for thrashing ourselves into the ground seven days a week. I mean, let's think about it for a moment. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament. 613 laws. God says to the people of Israel, this is what you need. This is what you need to live right, live right with me, live right with others. And then God realizes, hold on, these guys are never going to remember 613 laws. Let's, let's narrow that down and make them a list that's easy to remember. I don't know, make it like a top 20. Now, there's no way they'll remember the top 20. Let's go for the top 10. That's a great idea. We're going to do the top 10. We can call them, I don't know, 10, the 10 guidelines or the 10 commandments. or I don't know, Something like that would work. We can work on that later. The question is, what 10 am I going to put? I've got 613 to choose from. Okay, so I need to put, get a priority list here. What are the top 10? What are the top 10 out of all these 613 laws that as long as my people obey these 10, they'll live happy, fulfilled, refreshed lives and won't wreck each other in the purpose? Ah, oh, man, what am I going to put in there? I've got some great laws. I love that one about cutting sideburns. I love sideburns. Maybe I'll put that one in. No, I don't. No, I won't put that in. I mean, what was, what was God's process, right, when he's going through selecting the top 10 out of the 613 laws? And isn't it funny that in those 10 one of the ones he chose right alongside don't murder each other is take a day off every week. It's number four. Maybe if we took a day off a week, maybe we'd stop murdering each other. I don't know. <laughs> the body cannot handle unrelenting stress. 
That's what the medical profession continually tells us. It's not designed for it. It can't cope with it. People these days have a thing called adrenal fatigue. We're not meant to get fatigue in our organs. You get fatigue in your muscles, go for a big run, pump that thing, gets, oh, it's, oh, that's fatigue. You're not meant to get that in your adrenal gland. Your adrenal gland is not meant to be used as a general rule, unless you're about to be run over by a large truck or hunt, ch- chased down by a lion. That's what it's for. But people are living their lives, so their adrenal gland is working all day, every day, until it can no longer function. Maybe we should listen to God. He leads me beside quiet waters. You need times of quiet, of solitude, of peace. That could be an afternoon nap on the couch. It can be a relaxing with friends over a coffee. It can be being deep in a good book. It can be binge-watching Netflix. But we actually need to slow down at some time in our lives. And it's as simple as this. Lie down when he says, lie down. It's the only way he can restore your soul. You can pray all day and all night, God, make me feel better. God, I'm so depressed. God, I'm so exhausted. You know what? And he's saying, yeah, I know, I know. Stop. No, I know. Go to bed. No, I know. Have a day off. I love God. I, love, I, just, I don't know how God lives with the frustration he must live with, putting up with me. God can't restore your soul until you lie down. Number two, we've got to follow where God leads. Psalm 23, verse 3, the second half, he guides me. He guides me along right paths. Now, this is the great bit. For his name's sake. He guides me for his name's sake. It's funny, isn't it, how little we trust God sometimes. Because we're so concerned that actually, I don't know if I like where he's leading me. I don't know if I like where this is taking me. Yet we, we forget that he's not concerned so much with our reputation. He's concerned with his reputation. And that is the best place for us to be. In the book of Exodus, we read how God brings Israel out of Egypt. I mean, it's a crazy story. I read it to our kids, which is a bit disturbing, really, when we read stories to our kids about millions of people dying and all sorts of things. But that's, that's all good. It's a great story. So God brings them out. He doesn't just bring the people of Israel out from anywhere. He brought them out of Egypt. Egypt was the greatest world power in the day. He brought them out through the Red Sea, a complete miracle, a wall of water to the left, a wall of water to the right. Then he drowned the entire army that was chasing them in one great mate. I mean, it's an incredible story of his love and provision for his people, right? And despite seeing his incredible care for them, despite coming out laden with riches, from their previous owners, if you read this story, despite that, as soon as it gets tough, instead of trusting him, they start complaining. Instead of looking back and going, now hold on, before we start complaining, let's look at how good he has been. Let's look at how gracious he has been. You know what? Based on his past, we're going to trust him now, even though it looks a little bit tough. But they don't do that. They don't trust God. Even as their bags are full of gold, from the nation of Egypt that they have walked out with, they are complaining, they are complaining again and again. And eventually God's had enough. He's like, man, okay, we're done here. 
Moses, mate, like seriously, I, I, look, I've, been, I've been really good. I've been putting up with these guys, but I am done with these guys. So what we're going to do is we're going to smoke these guys. It's going to be awesome, and we're going to start a game with you because I like you. You are a good guy. You don't whinge or complain. In fact, all three of us in the Godhead have been chatting about this, and we all like you. So we're going to start again with you, Moses. How does that sound? Now, I bet that must have been a pretty attractive option for Moses, right? Because like Moses was sick of these guys as well. I mean, there's a couple of million people, and every time this happened, God would go. Moses would go to God and go, you know, you could just you can hear the frustration in Moses's voice, and I'm sure that Moses was tempted to go. That is a great plan, God, but he doesn't. It's fascinating. Moses has been he has been in this epic and very public battle for God's reputation for months leading up to this. And he is not going to see it all wrecked, no matter how attractive the possibilities are going forward. So he has this conversation with God, and he kind of explains the public relations nightmare that would ensue. Numbers 14, Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear about it. You know, by your power, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They've already heard about you, Lord that you are with all these people and that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving no one alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them. So he killed them in the wilderness. Moses is saying, God, this is going to ruin your reputation. And so God hears that and God relents and forgives and, you know, who, who really knows what God was doing behind this, trying to get Moses to understand this? But God places his reputation above his comfort. He doesn't want his reputation wrecked by leading you to a place of failure or pain or waste. He doesn't want his reputation to be that God is unreliable, that God is unfaithful, that God is not good. And see, that's why we can have confidence in his guiding us because he's not just doing it for us, he's doing it for him as well. You know, God is good, right? God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. That is his reputation. Guess how we got it? From being good all the time. And it's time we started trusting him when he leads us if we want to get through what it is that we are going through. You know, when people follow God's lead, he does incredible things with them. Like if you just to stop for a moment for those of you who know Bob and Maggie and think about their lives. They married young, had a variety of jobs. Maggie used to steal chickens. Sorry, used to rescue chickens. Bob worked as a printer. They got saved in this incredible moment in their home. And they went on, they planted a church, they planted several churches. Some of our flagship churches these guys have pastored over the years. They've seen the world as they've pursued God's lead to go out and preach the gospel to all nations. They've shared the gospel to hundreds of thousands of people. They've shared in stadiums, and they've also been in villages working one-on-one -on -one with people. They've led our movement through the most difficult time our movement has been through in the last 50 years. They shepherded our movement through. They have seen the power of God like few have seen physical healings, the impossible being done in a consistent basis. The very first time I ever saw with my physical eyes God do a physical healing that defied all of my scientific training. It was after Maggie Lawson had said, hey, if anyone wants to come see a miracle, God's going to do it. Come and see. I'm like, sure, I'll come see. 
I don't believe it's going to happen, but I'll come see. And it did and completely blew my mind. These guys have got something going on in their lives. And you've got to understand, I've just been away with these guys ministering. And on our team, we've got a couple of 30-year-olds. And I'm telling you, without a word of a lie, these two 30-year-olds are two of the most talented people we have in our movement. Adam and Darcy Frost, they are unbelievable, incredible communicators, huge energy, and this is the truth. These guys outworked them, out-anointed them, out-changed the atmosphere on them, and these guys are in their 70s. Are you kidding me? Man, I tell you what, I tell you, I say to God, come on, let's give me a hand. That is unbelievable. I look at these guys and I go, man, if I can be half of that at 70, I'm going to be stoked. This is unbelievable. At some point, I don't know how God's ever going to even take them home. I mean, at the energy levels they've got now, they're going to be living like about 150 years old before they slow down enough for the devil to catch up with them. It's unbelievable. But this is what life looks like when you follow his lead. I look at these guys and I'm reminded, yeah, I can trust God when he leads me. Third thought is this this morning, don't camp in, God, and don't camp in life's valleys Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, God's people, we camp on mountaintops, team. We don't camp in valleys. We walk through valleys. Don't set up camp in your grief. Don't set up camp in your hurt. Don't set up camp in your disappointment or your depression. Keep walking. Keep walking. There's a way through. God called you to walk through valleys, and he'll lead you if you'll just keep on walking. You see, the problem comes when we don't. The problem comes when we give up, when we stop fighting, when we say, ah, I'm going to camp here. This kind of, I don't know, in a strange way, this, this makes me feel, I can feel better about myself for some strange way. When we should be stop obeying the Lord. When we stop obeying the Lord and we stop and we camp in a negative place, I tell you what, God's ability to lead us just ended when we stopped being willing to follow him. There's a beautiful poem some of you may have heard called Footprints. Footprints. It's a beautiful story, a beautiful poem written by someone who, who kind of saw their life uh, as like footprints along a beach. And, and then they said to, said to God, at the end of it, God, I, I see these two sets of footprints, Jesus, in my life with you. But then I see these, these times that correspond with the lowest parts of my life, God, where I, see, I only see one set of footprints. Why is it, God, that in my darkest times you would abandon me? And God speaks and says, my child, my precious child, you misunderstand. When you see only one set of footprints in your darkest times, that is because those were the times that I carried you. Such a beautiful thought. There's another version of that poem that I came across, which I think is super helpful for us when it comes to the idea of camping, when we stop obeying God's lead when we settle into a negative place. I'd like to read it to you. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen, the footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? These prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they are too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed. You would not grow. The walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired. I got fed up. And there I dropped you on your butt. <laughs> because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb. 
when one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. <laughs> Look, I know that there are times when we get hurt and we want to stop, right? And sure, take that rest. But how long have you been resting here? How long have you been resting in this place? Some people make their emotional home their darkest valley. When all the time Jesus is up ahead saying, come on, come on, you can do this. Keep going. Get back on your feet. I'm walking through this with you. I will not leave you alone. We're almost there. The fourth thought this morning is this. When it comes to your enemies, let go and let God. Psalm 23 verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's such an incongruous idea. That as the battle lines are drawn and you come to face your enemies, when you're about to engage in battle for your very life, God stops all the proceedings and prepares a table for you. Brings out the silver, the cutlery, the roast lamb, the mint sauce. It's like we're so unconcerned about the enemy that we're going to have ourselves an evening meal now. But we need to understand what that is. That is a declaration. It's a declaration that, you know what, when God is your shepherd, you don't have to be worried about your enemy. You can, you can be so unconcerned about the enemy, you can sit down and, and put your napkin on and settle back because God is in control. And there are many times in my life, and I'm sure in yours as well, when you face situations with people, you just don't know how to get through this. And I can't encourage you enough. Those are the times not to be intimidated by your enemy, but to let go and hand them over to God. Let him bless you in the midst even of great stress and allow God to work on your behalf with those that are coming against you. A couple of quick thoughts as we come to an end. Number five, this is an important one. You have to slow down for the good stuff. Psalm 23 verse 6, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I want to say this to some of you. They'll follow you. The question is, will they catch you? Because some of us are running so darn fast, goodness and mercy, they're chasing after you as best they can. They just can't quite get a hold of you. You're wondering why you're not enjoying the good stuff. It's because the good stuff's right behind you. You've got to slow down just a little bit. Don't run so fast that they can't catch you. I remember a time when uh, our kids were small and Liz, and I'm just working all the time, and Liz is like, for goodness sake, will you go outside and play with your kids? I'm like, oh, sure, I'd love to. Went outside, lay on the trampoline. I lay on the trampoline so I could continue working through what I had to do next. Kids are bouncing around, jumping on top of me, the whole thing. It was just, actually, it was a beautiful moment. And you know what the great tragedy is? Is that I could, all I could do was lie there and think, I'm not getting anything done. I was running so fast, so fast, that the goodness and mercy of the love of my children couldn't even begin to catch up to me. Don't spend your life that way. Now, Liz and I, we're runners. We're training at the moment for an event coming up and we do a bit of running and Liz is that one amongst us who when we get to the turnaround point 5k's 10k's 15k's whatever we're doing we get to the turnaround point she will often grab me to give me a kiss I'm like I don't this is going to blow our time out what I got, I got to get what are we doing and she looks me in the eyes and she reminds me of her role in my life she slows me down so goodness and mercy can be part of my experience as well. The last thought is this. Commit to community. Psalm 23 verse 6, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
There's only one place that offers hope for a depleted soul and that's the house of the Lord. See, to David, the house of God and the people of God were synonymous. They're one and the same thing. The same thing comes through in the New Testament. But actually the people of God, the church of God and the house of God are the same, the same thing. Usually the, the, the facility, the home, the, that's, the, that's the center point for where the gathering is. But it's actually about the gathering. That's the point of it all. You know, it's not, it's not to come along on a Sunday. It's, not to, it, it's to dwell. There's a dwelling. There's a abiding, a remaining. That's why you've got to be in a small group. Get in a small group, a bunch of people. You can do something consistently and regularly and turn up. You know, I'm, so, I'm so delighted. I was thinking about it on the way in, in the car this morning that from some of my first small groups, some of those people are still my dearest friends. Jason Bach was in my small group. Love this guy. He keeps turning up in my life. God keeps connecting us together. I'm so glad. He's such a good man. I've got other friends like Jason. And, and, and here's the interesting thing. I know many people. I know you know many people. But I can count probably on the fingers of one hand, maybe two, the number of people and men in my life that I can count on when the chips are down that I could actually call up at any time. Say, bro, I'm just flipping struggling, man. Can you help me out here? Jason's one of them. Bob's another one. Dan Bell's another one. There's a few. But you know what I've realized? I've realized these things come out of doing life with people. You've got to, you've got to dwell in the people of God. You can't just turn up and, and expect it to happen. There's an aspect of friendship that only happens after years. And years only happen if you dwell. Lie down when he says, lie down, David says. Follow where he leads. Don't camp in life's valleys. When it comes to your enemies, let go and let God. You've got to slow down for the good stuff and commit to community. Now, I don't know which one of those is the biggest one for you right now. But I bet you that for every one of us, one of those, God's speaking to us about right now. That there's something in there for every one of us. So can we just close our eyes for a moment? I want to pray for you. Mighty God, I love you so much, Lord. I love you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word, this incredible psalm, Lord. So full of incredible wisdom, Lord. But Jesus, you are our shepherd. God, if we'll let you shepherd us, Lord, every one of us across this auditorium today, Holy Spirit, I absolutely believe that you are nudging each of us on something, Lord, that we need to submit to you. And God, help us to do that. That we might live refreshed souls, Lord. That we might truly be your people. Lights, God, that shine out in a dark generation. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's get to our feet. We're going to worship God. Uh, first of all, I'm going to hand over to Joy, who's going to lead us through a few things. Thanks, Joy. <laughs> Awesome. Hey, on your seats, you'll notice um, that you've got these connect cards. And if you are, like, we are going to sing, so you can stand up. Um, I love this word because it, uh, it's, it means connection to God, but also connection to the people around us. And if you fill this out, there's plenty of ways that we can connect with you and take you on your next step. Maybe that means signing up to a small group. Maybe that means writing down a prayer request. Maybe that means getting baptized. So whatever that is, make sure you fill that out and pop it into the offering bag. So we are going to take our tithes and offerings now and our team is going to lead us in a song as the bags go round. But I'm just going to pray and then we'll get on to that. Lord God, I thank you that we have the privilege to give and sow into this church. 
Thank you, God, that you love us enough to make us rest. And God, thank you that we get to show how much we love you and how much we are committed to this place and to this journey by building into this church in a practical, tangible way. God, I pray that this offering would just help us to continue helping us reach, serve, and connect this community. Amen. When night has fallen and fear is calming, still you're calling me. When faith is lost and my hope exhausted, you will be my strength. And when my mind says I'm not good enough, God, you're enough for me. And I've decided I'm not giving up. You won't give up on me. You won't give up on me. Your love is holding on and it won't let go. Feeling breaking out like an echo. you'll see it make sure you fill it out and pop it into the information booth slot so you can be part of the next round of small groups you don't want to miss out something else we do here at Elam as our church grows is investing into the next generation of leaders of ministers of pastors of teachers that is of course our children's ministry now we need the best of the best to come on board and help grow these children and invest into them. So if you can commit to one Sunday a month or maybe more, we would love to hear from you. Make sure you fill out the Connect card and we will be in touch. If it is your first time here, we would love to get to know you better. So we'll meet you out in the guest area. Otherwise, if you'd like prayer, we've got an amazing ministry team up front to get prayed for. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.